It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows we actually remember from when we were kids. Why? Because we're baby boomers. Now, some of them, it's true, we remember from television and their later incarnations, but we remember them. And we've got a great lineup this week. We have an Adventures of Philip Marlowe. We have a Tales of the Texas Rangers. We are not going to have the Jack Benny Show we promised you last week. We'll do that one next time. We are going to do an episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. The reason being is a little shorter, and I'm trying to get four shows in tonight. And then we're going to finish things up with an episode of Gunsmoke. So we're back. We're happy to be with you. And if you just want to get yourself situated, get comfortable, we're going to get started in just a moment. Yeah, we're back. We got in uh, from Belize a few days back and had a wonderful vacation. The weather was wonderful. We had a little bit of rain down there, but not nothing nothing too bad. Tropical, you know. A lot of great uh, uh, trade winds. Chester is brown as a berry and uh, is raring to go back to work. So uh, it's good to be back. We, we didn't... Uh, plan to tell a lot of stories and whatnot tonight because like I said I'm fighting some allergies and we just got back but I did get four shows together for you and they're good ones and we're going to get started with those right now.
Okay, we are going to get things started this week with an episode of Philip Marlowe starring Gerald Moore. This one originally aired on CBS back on August the 25th of 1951, and the title is Air for a G-String. That's H-E-I-R, Air. I don't know if they were playing a little double entendre game on us in 1951, but the title is not what many of you may be thinking. Here it comes. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's transcribed story, Air for G-String. There's nothing really wrong with a hot summer. But if some sadist really wanted to bring out the worst in anybody, particularly me, after a steaming day, all he has to do is expose me to air conditioning. Take, for instance, the Broadview Hotel, which was on Olive Street in downtown L.A. It ground out alternating currents of cold air from what could laughingly be called the lobby. I'd revolved through the usual doors and stood squinting into the icy darkness. When my eyes leveled off again, I made my way to the elevators, sinking into the deep pile carpeting up to my hot and cold ankles. By the time I reached room 972, I was in the first stages of a chill. Yeah, air conditioning is a marvelous invention. It guarantees the summer cold for life. Oh, you're Mr. Marlowe? That's right. That makes you Mr. Allman, huh? Oh, come in. Martin Allman? Come in. Sure. Yeah, you're nothing like I'd pictured you, Mr. Allman. Uh, sit down, please, Mr. Marlowe. Pictured me? I don't understand. Well, all my life I'd heard about Philadelphia lawyers. Somewhere along the line, I drew up a mental eight-by-ten of a... Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. You just don't look the prototype. Perhaps that's because I'm only a junior partner in the firm, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, maybe that's it. You know, it's an odd thing about prototypes, Mr. Marlowe. They'll trick you. Oh? For example, I've always had the idea that men in your... Well, I'll call it a profession. That's nice of you. That men in your profession always wore trench coats. Yeah, well, that's because Bogart looks so good in them. (laughs) Yes, Well, about our business together. I'll be here in Los Angeles a few days representing the firm in a number of ways, but while I'm here, I hope to locate a man by the name of Buff Ryan. Did you say that first name was Buff? Yes, odd name, isn't it? Yeah. But that's beside the point. This Buff Ryan, it seems, has inherited a small amount of money from a maiden aunt who passed away some time ago in Philadelphia. Oh. According to our information, my firm is executor of her estate, Mr. Ryan came west about a year ago, and until approximately six months ago, he could be reached at a Waring Street address in care of a C.A. Douglas. But our correspondence to him there has been returned, marked unknown at this address. That's the last record you have on him. Yes, that's the last. We've written to this uh, C.A. Douglas, but received no answer from him. I've called him since I arrived in town. There's been no answer. Well, maybe they've both left town, moved away. Well, that's possible, of course, but uh, perhaps you'll find that out when you get to checking on Mr. Ryan. I see. Well, I'm to find him if I can and tell him about this inheritance, huh? 
By the way, how much is it? Five thousand mm. dollars. Just about Miss Leader's entire estate. Miss Leader sounds like a comment. <laughs> a full name. You may want that was Julie Leader. Julie Leader. I'm sorry, I can't show you a picture of Mr. Ryan. I'm expecting one to be sent out to me while I'm here. Expected it this morning, as a matter of fact. Yeah, well, maybe a description of him will do. Have you ever seen him? No, no. Uh, but we were able to find out that he's slightly less than six feet tall, light brown hair, straight. Uh, blue eyes, weighed about 180 pounds when he left Philadelphia a year ago. No distinguishing marks about him, according to our description. Oh, yes, and uh, he's about 35 years old. Well, that's pretty complete. Oh, uh, you better let me have the last address you have on Ryan, too. Oh, of course. Uh, Here. I've written it down for you with the phone number I've been calling. Mm -hmm. I'll be handling most of my business affairs right here at the hotel, Mr. Marlowe. I'll appreciate it if you'll check in occasionally. Let me know your progress. Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. Say around 3 o'clock this afternoon. Okay. Tell you everything I know about then. <laughs> yeah, but then it might not be a thing. I know your reputation, Mr. Marlowe. You'll find him, I'm sure. Oh, don't get me wrong. If he's to be found, I'll probably find him. But I have missed, you know. Just why I should want to rock the confidence of a Philadelphia lawyer, I don't know. Maybe it was because Martin Allman, for all his conservative Brooks Brothers attire, looked too much or not enough like what he was supposed to be. Maybe it was because the East Los Angeles address he'd handed me for Buff Ryan was a cinch to be 30 degrees hotter. It was, too. Waring Street was lined with gray little houses surrounded by small gray lawns dotted with straggling gray trees. The color scheme was the direct result of long years of constant neglect. I knocked a long time on the door of the C.A. Douglas residence. The porch was littered with old papers and assortment of throwaways and leaves. The only response I got was from a scrawny cat, also gray, who leaped up on the porch rail to spit and yowl at me. <laughs> I yowled back and walked off the porch in the general direction of my car. That's when I noticed a smaller, grayer house behind this one, on the same lot. And I thought I saw a curtain at the front window move slightly. The cat dogged my steps back to see. Oh, pardon me, but I'm trying to locate C.A. Douglas. Does he still live in the house in front of you? I don't know. I haven't seen Mr. Douglas in quite a while. Oh. You, uh, you think he moved away? Maybe. I don't know. How would I know? I don't know. Well, look, I'm, I'm in kind of a hurry. I'm getting dressed to go to work. How long have you lived here? What difference does it make? Did you ever know a guy named Buff Ryan? Of course not. Why, of course not. Why not just know... Listen, I don't know hardly anybody, and I don't know you, and... Um, now it's the phone. Go away, will you please, mister? No. No, I don't think Hello? I will, honey. She was tall, very blonde, very good to look at. A fresh blue housecoat wrapped around just the way it should. And even after I entered the spotless little living room, the faint aura of her cologne lingered on. I couldn't tell anything about the phone conversation she was having in the next room, but... I could tell a lot about her by the several scantily clad pictures of her that greeted me from various points of the room. Yeah, I could tell a lot about her. Hey, what's the idea? You just can't walk in here. Do you want me to call the police? Not especially. 
I was just admiring your pictures. So? Yeah, you have exceptional handwriting. You're pretty nosy, aren't you? I particularly like this sample where it says, For Buff, darling, my love, Blossom. Listen, mister, I got things to do, so run along. How long have you known Buff, honey? You think I'm kidding about calling the cops? Well, I do it all right, only... Only what? Only I'm, I'm due downtown at work. I... Oh, honest, mister, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You got no right to ask me questions about anything. And nothing says I got to answer. That's right, that's right, honey. You sure don't. Now, where's Buff? I don't know. I'll drive you downtown and you can tell me all about it, huh? You're driving me nowhere but out of my mind. Now, look, I got good news for your boy. He'd want to see me. Get out. Okay, Blossom, okay. What time's your first show? Two o'clock. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, I read the papers. And occasionally I've been known to contribute to the cultural progress of Los Angeles. You know, save the burlesque houses. The pictures she'd autographed to Buff had been propped up between my sugar bowl and the soul shaker the Sunday morning before in the theatrical section of the Sunday paper. Yeah, I didn't recognize her with a house coat on. And all the way back downtown, I reflected on the advantages of being well-read. Well, I parked in a lot on a side street to the north end of Skid Row and stopped for lunch at a newspaper man's hangout nearby. It was almost time for Blossom's first show when I felt fortified enough to walk along the street past the blank stairs of the winos and the dank air of the Muscatel missions. <laughs> Blossom's flag flew above the marquee. Blossom, the flower of burlesque. How many, please? One, huh? There you are, sir. Thanks. Say, do you think I can get in to see Blossom? I don't see how you can miss. With buying the ticket and all. No, no, no. I mean, I'd like to see her personally in a dressing room. I'd oh. like to talk to her. Well, I'm sure you have my permission. Whether or not you'll get blossoms is strictly between her and her moral fiber. You know something? You're not much help. You know something? I don't try to be. I'll miss you. <laughs> and here it is. Your very last chance to go to great show. I'm about to pass among you with these boxes of delicious chocolate candy with the nuts inside. And don't forget with each and every quick... I beg your pardon, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. With the purchase of every box of this delicious chocolate candy with the nuts inside, our very special offer, a genuine gold box with each and every purchase. He wasn't going to make a killing, exactly. There weren't more than six guys in the place. I wandered down the side aisle toward a door to one side of the stage and pushed through it. I found myself in a dark, narrow catwalk of the hallway. Hey, the show's going to be out front, Mac. You guys can't come back here. Well, this guy did. Where can I find Blossom? Uh, out front. About ten minutes. I'll wait for her back here, thanks. Look, I can make myself clear if I had got I wish her. you would. Your lighting system's very bad back here. Your light's out front where it counts, Mac. Come on, get Take out of here. Take it easy, fella. This is business. I don't like being pushed. A lot can happen you won't like if you don't hey, get out of here. you too. You're causing too much commotion. Now get out front where you belong. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Now, look, I don't know who you are, Well, I can I... clear that up for you quick, friend. I'm the manager of this theater, and I'll run along like he did. Now, where can we talk? In your office? Why should I talk to you? Because I'm a booking agent. I want to talk to you about Blossom. She's booked. Okay, we'll talk about something else. Where's your office? Hey, now, look. The show's starting. We can't stay back here. Follow me. 
Jerry. You sure have a bunch of art lovers in the audience. Sure, sure. It's a class show. Come on, through this door. All right. Now then, you're no booking agent, so what's on your mind? Blossom, and what's your name? Ballou, George Ballou. Why? Would it mean anything to you if I told you that Buff Ryan's Aunt Julie died in Philadelphia and left him 5,000 bucks? Wouldn't mean a thing. Wouldn't, huh? No. Mm, that's funny. Because you're the first one who'd fit the picture. What picture? Slightly under six feet tall, light brown hair straight, blue eyes, about 35 years old. Weigh about 180. And what are you trying to prove? That you can see me? Maybe. So my Philadelphia message doesn't interest you, huh? Nothing about you interests me except how you got in here in the first place. Bought a ticket. Then go on out and see the show. I think I will. I also think I'll stick around and see Blossom after her uh, performance. I wouldn't do that. If I were you, I'd see the show and get out. I don't want any trouble around here. I don't either. And if you see Buff before the show's over, tell him I'm out front, will you? I said I don't want any trouble. You're in a rut. I walked down the aisle that led backstage the course I'd already charted. Blossom's costume was less demure than her blue housecoat. <laughs> There was a school of thought surrounding me that this was more effective. Near the door, I stopped a moment in silent appreciation. Don't look at her like that. I, <laughs> I didn't know I was. Don't get any more ideas about going back to her dressing room. I ain't gonna like that. Now look, look, go back to your seat, live it up. Baloo said it was okay. He wouldn't say that. He knows better. All right, go tell him he knows better. Yeah, I will. You stay here. It was the same voice I met backstage the first time. The same pungent odor of muscatel. Before he'd lurched back up the aisle, I'd had a good look at a twisted face and a pair of watery blue eyes. Backstage, I waited for Blossom's act to conclude. It did. couldn't have been out long. About eight bars of imagination unless I'd missed a full chorus. At some point, I was fuzzily aware of being carried sack style somewhere, then being dropped not too gently onto a set of the noisiest springs I'd ever heard. This music lulled me for a while, and then I heard a door slam, and my head rolled off on the floor and broke. Come on, Marlo, you're oh. not dead. Is that official? How'd you get in here anyway? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. I hardly believe it myself. You're not supposed to be yeah, back here. I know, here. I know, I know, I know. I've had that pointed out to me several times now. Yeah, and I didn't think I told you my name. Your wallet was on the floor. I can read. Oh, yeah, well, good for you. Who hit me and with what size sandbag? I don't know. You never know anything, do you? Listen, Mr. Marlowe, you've been barging in all day where you're not wanted. Why didn't you tell me Buff was a wino? Ooh! Hey, look, look, that's what's left of my head, huh? I hope it hurt. I hope it hurt awful. Well, you get your hope it did. Hey, listen, you, I'm pretty fed up with you. No, just how you feel, Baloo. I told you before. I know what I'll you get... told me. You don't want any trouble. Okay. <sighs> okay, I'm going. Now, Blossom, what about Buff? I don't oh, know. Oh, never mind. <laughs>
Now, don't tell me you want another ticket. Not me, kid. I've taken the cure. How is there moral fiber? Hmm? Like Gibraltar. <laughs> you know a guy named Buff Ryan? For free, I don't know my own mother. You don't, huh? Mm-mm. See your point. Here. Here's mine. Memory getting any better? Mm, it's um, clearing up a little. Thought it would. <laughs> well, uh, when he ain't here, which he ain't right now, he's um, usually at Mother Morris's. That's for one. Mother Morris's, huh? Mm-hmm. Flophouse, three doors down. Or for two, try Tilly's, four doors down. A saloon. Thank you. Mother Morris couldn't help me, lovable old lush that she was. And a penetrating search of the 25-cent bed she sold revealed a lot of things. But no Buff Ryan. Tilly's downstairs next door didn't look very promising at first, but that was before I saw the twisted face with the watery blue eyes at the far end of the bar. Beside him, the unofficial dean and philosopher of Skid Row, J. Fenton Prentice. I started toward them, but a cordon of winos surrounded me before I could reach him. That's him, Prentice. That's the one. Yeah, Prentice, I'm the one. Will you call the brothers here off, make them breathe in another direction, and let me talk to Buff? We're a close association here, Mr. Marlowe. Outsiders are not welcome. Oh, come on, Prentice. You know me well enough. Perhaps, Mr. Marlowe, but we know each other better, my associates and I. My young friend Buff here quite obviously does not wish to talk with you. We are merely respecting his wishes in our own way. Oh, come on. Look, this is cockeyed. Maybe this isn't the place to say it, but you've inherited money, Buff. That's all I came to tell you. Really? Yeah. Who died? Your Aunt Julie. Don't let him say any more, Prentice. Don't let him get to me. I've got to get out of here. If you gentlemen will restrain Mr. Marlowe. Buff, you crazy fool. Listen to me. There's a lawyer here from Philadelphia to see you. He's at the Broadview, will you? For heaven's sake, get in touch with him. Listen to me. They will, son. They will. The lawyer's name is Martin Norman, you idiot. Go see him. Let go of me, you stupid dolts. Yeah. Thanks, Prentice. For nothing. Buff was nowhere to be seen when I hit the street. Didn't matter. It was three o'clock. I delivered my message from Martin Allman. Buff could take it from there. Now, I may be wrong, but most guys like to inherit dough. Still, you can never tell with a wino. And Buff was, as they say, bona fide. <laughs> Martin Allman was glad to see me. That was a nice change of pace. I told him all I knew. Didn't take long. I'm afraid you've had quite a bad experience, Mr. Marlowe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Oh, by the way, this picture arrived. Special delivery from Philadelphia about an hour ago. Oh? Is, uh... This the reluctant chap you tracked down? Let me see that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Buff, before Muscatel. Well, you've done a fine job, Mr. Marlowe. I made your check out for you. Thanks. So you're going to try to get in touch with Buff yourself? Perhaps. Not personally, of course. You're certain that Waring Street address, the little house in back, should reach him? Yeah, yeah, or I suppose you could get in touch with him through Blossom at the Burlesque Theater. Mm -hmm. Well, we've done all we can for now. Unfortunately, I've been called back to Philadelphia. I'm taking a plane out in an hour. Well, what about Buff and the inheritance? Well, now that I know he can be reached, we'll mail it to him. After all, we can't force it on him, now can we, Mr. Marlowe? No. Doesn't look like we can. Yeah, well, he's all yours, Mr. Allman. Martin Allman seems satisfied that we've done our job. 
So I left wishing someone would come up to me and tell me Aunt What's-Her-Name had left me 5,000 clams. When I got back to my car, I had it all figured how I'd go home and forget what Martin had called quite a bad experience. One look inside my car told me it wasn't going to work out that way at all. You uh, weren't as long as I thought you'd be, Mr. Marlowe. How'd you get here from Skid Row, Prentice? Fly? I always taxi. How nice for you. After you left Tilly's, I fell to thinking, Mr. Marlowe. Quite a fall. It occurred to me that perhaps you were telling Buff the truth all the time. I was. That's not important now, is it? Oh, yes. I should say it's quite important. Really? You mustn't be too hard on Buff, Mr. Marlowe. He's like most men on the row. He probably has his reasons for running. Running from life, perhaps. Running from himself. Or others. Are you trying to tell me something, Prentice? Now, that would be presumptuous of me, Mr. Marlowe. Temper justice with mercy. That much I say to you. I tell you, Buff Ryan is running. And with reason. If his reason interests you, then I suggest you set about finding out what it is. Well, is there any reason why I should? No. No, there isn't, but this much I do know. He has left the row. And he is running. I saved Jay Fenton Prentice's taxi fare back to what he affectionately referred to as the row. Yeah, he wouldn't have followed me if he hadn't wanted me to know something peculiar about Buff. And yet... His odd code kept him from telling me himself. I knew that code well enough to know that it had something to do with the police. Yeah, well, like I say, I'm a curious fella. Oh, now, Phil, uh, is this a big-time or small-time crook, this Ryan? He's pretty small, Sergeant Mooney, if he is one. Mm, aliases? No, not that I know of. Uh -huh. Well, we'll try Ryan just for size, huh? Mm. Buff's a crazy name. <laughs> He's a crazy guy. We'll have to look for it in the moniker file if we don't right. have it here. Uh, uh, hold it here. Uh, this your guy? Where? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it. Let's see that, will you? Take it out of there. Yeah. Let's see, not much of a reckon. Suspect, armed robbery, charges dropped. Suspect, extortion, charges dropped. I wonder why they bothered to take his picture. I don't know. Aliases, aliases. Buff Ragland, Bob Rutledge, C.A. Doug... C.A. Douglas. Hmm? Hello. What? Takes care of one question mark. Does it? Yeah, take my word for it, kid. It does. Let's see. Last question in connection with the slaying of Julie Leader, Philadelphia. Wait a minute. Aunt Julie, holy smoke. I knew I didn't like this Martin Allman. I didn't bother to check his record. I got the picture. No wonder Buff ran from me like the plague. Martin had suckered me into setting Buff up for the kill. Marlowe, the finger man, that's great. Well, I got back to the theater in practically nothing flat. Yanked Blossom practically off stage, shoved her into my car and drove like mad to the little gray house behind the little gray house. Prentice said Buff had left Skid Row. If he wasn't on Waring Street, he might be anywhere, including dead. Martin was paying off a cab driver in front of the house. Blossom cued me to the alley entrance and back. 
please, God. Please don't let anything happen to him. Don't crack now, honey. We'll make it in time. You just let us in. He's got to, Mr. Marlowe. He's my husband. Okay, okay. Take it easy, baby. Stand away from him, Blossom, or I'll kill you, too. No, Buff, no. Now, listen, Buff Martin's coming in the front. You can't waste time with us. I don't believe you, Marlowe. You're part of the deal. Hey, what is this? You should have listened to me, Buff. <laughs> I'm sorry, Blossom. I had to. Is he, is he's he... all right. He's just out. Now, listen, you've got to answer that front door. No. Answer it. I'll be right behind the door. He won't do anything to you. Just let him come in. But, but I'm afraid. So am I. Come on. Oh. How do you do? I was looking for a gentleman by the name of Buff Ryan. I'm an old friend of his. I understood he lived here. Yes. Yes, he does. Is he at home now? Yes. Won't you come in? Oh, thank you. Marlo, thank heaven. Thank me. I got his gun. Are you all right? Never felt better. Go throw some water on your boy and get him in here. Maybe he'll talk now. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I will. Now. Puff, darling, you're not hurt? Not anymore, honey. I don't figure you, I guess, Marlo. I thought you were on Martin's team. I was at first, when I thought the business about you inheriting the 5,000 bucks was legitimate. What's he got against you? I saw too much once, about a year ago. I saw Martin kill Julie Leader. I was the only one who saw it. I knew he'd give me the same thing if he ever got the chance. He, he can't do that now, can he? Not if you'll talk, when we get the law here. Buff, why didn't you tell me? Silly question, honey. Sure, Marlowe. Call the law. It'll be almost a pleasure to talk. So much for that. Buff and Blossom are doing fine. <laughs> Every once in a while, we sit in the third row and yell, down in front. Yeah, he's got a good job now. And soon they'll have enough for the traditional vine-covered respectability. Oh, by the way, <laughs> he's taken to wearing Brooks Brothers-type suits. You know what? He looks just like a Philadelphia lawyer. <laughs> How do you like that? Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, starring Gerald Moore, are produced and transcribed by Norman MacDonald, and written for radio by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were Jack Moyles as Buff Ryan, Michael Ann Barrett as Blossom, and John Stevenson as Martin Allman, with Sidney Miller as Mr. Ballou, Norman Field as J. Fenton Prentice, Grace Leonard as Gloria B., Sergeant Mooney is played by Jack Crucian. Gerald Moore may currently be seen in the Santana production, Sirocco. The special music for Philip Marlowe is composed by Pierre Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen next week at the same time when Philip Marlowe says... This time she was lovely and I was engaged. Engaged to help a beautiful shepherd who had a flock of trouble. We found a lost sheep and something else she didn't know she lost.
This coming Monday night, keep the evening free because the great fall parade of stars and shows back to CBS Radio will begin in earnest. Enjoy suspense moving into Monday evening, raising the curtain with William Holden in the leading role of a brand new spine tingler. Enjoy Lux Radio Theater's The Mudlark, starring Irene Dunn and Sir Cedric Hardwick. Enjoy the Bob Hawk Show, back in business with $3,000 to start the season's quiz-bang fun. Yes, they're all coming back to CBS Radio this Monday night. Yours on most of these same CBS stations. Clarence Cassell speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. Have you heard that episode before? Well, I'll tell you what. If you heard that when it was originally broadcast, that episode of Philip Marlowe, which was entitled Air for a G-Street, then that means that you were sitting in front of a radio on August the 25th, 1951, and listening to CBS. Don't worry, we have a lot of wonderful episodes from the adventures of Philip Marlowe that have yet to be heard. There's a yellow rose in Texas that I am going to see. No other soldier knows her, no soldier, only me. She cried so when I left her, it like to broke my heart. And if I ever find her, we never more will part. She's the sweetest rose of color. Soldier ever knew Her eyes are bright as diamonds They sparkle like the dew You may talk about your dearest May Sing of Rosalie But the yellow rose of Texas Is the only one for me Tales of the Texas Rangers Texas music there to introduce us to the show for March, Tales of the Texas Rangers. And we've got a good one tonight. It's one of the earliest ones in the run. It was broadcast, uh, what was the date here? July 15th, 1950. This was the second show uh, in the series. And the name of this one is White Elephant. And it's it just, uh, it, of course, it features Joel McRae. And it also has a number of uh, our normal, usual suspects that were doing radio shows in Hollywood in 1950. I know Jeanette Nolan's in this one. Uh, oh, I forget all. You'll hear it at the end. It is really raining outside. I don't know if you folks can hear that. Boy, it is pouring right now. Little little lightning out in the distance, so we're going to run along here, and we're going to play for you Tales of the Texas Rangers. Here it comes. Wheaties presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. On stage tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. (laughs) 
Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, The White Elephants. It is January 16th, 1950. The time, 6.28 p.m. A freight train just outside of a West Texas town gains speed and rolls through the gathering dusk. Inside a gondola car, a hobo crouches in a corner as the brakeman comes toward him. All right, Paul, this is where you get off. Now, listen, pal, just let me get to the next town. I just, just... I said this is where you get off. (laughs) But we're moving. Yeah, you get on where we was moving, you can get off. Now, come on around just the top of your head. Now, listen, don't, don't, don't do it, I tell you. Get on your feet like this. No, let let go. No, you want to get off, huh? You told you to leave me alone, pal. Slug me, will you? Oh, you ain't getting me. I'm coming. At 2.55 a.m. of the morning following the freight train incident, a rancher named Banker noticed a small coupé parked on the shoulder of the road. It bore Oklahoma license plates. Banker turned his spotlight on the car, saw a man slumped down on the driver's seat. A half hour later, Sheriff Caldwell, notified by Banker, began investigation of the murder and called in the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned to the case. And a few hours later, Pearson, Banker, and Sheriff Caldwell stood at the scene. Pearson listened to Banker. It was just about three this morning when I saw it, Ranger. How come you were driving along this road that late? I've been to a rancher's meeting in Almira's. I was going to spend the night there and change my mind. Uh-huh. Did you take this road when you left for Almira's? Yes, sir. What time? Uh, yesterday morning, about uh, 7, 7.30. And then this car came here sometime between 7.30 yesterday morning and 3 this morning. I guess so. You never saw the dead man before, huh? was the first time I laid eyes on him. All right, Mr. Banker, you can go. If you need me, I'll be home. No identification on the body at all, huh, Sheriff? Nothing in the pockets, picked clean as a whistle. Anybody else been around the car? Nope, deputy kept his eyes on it. The car's facing west, going west when it was stopped. Car tracks on the shoulder tell that. Mm-hmm. Blood on the seat. Yep. 38 bullet done it. 38? Might be a police special. Banker got one? Banker, but... Yeah, but... Just asking. For now. You see, I... You see something? Look here, Sheriff. Huh? Set of tracks leading up to the car. Ordinary shoes, not boots. Heel marks are too broad for boots. Yeah, looks like it. Look at this one. Sole print with a hole in it. Now look. The prints lead from that way, north, up to the car. 
a little scuffle, and the prints turned back north. In other words, Sheriff, somebody walked up to the car, stood there, then turned and went back north. Oh, and here's something else. Grease. Looks like grease. Smeared on the car door. Same side footprints are on. Grease might be from the car. Well, it's too stiff and heavy for that. Yeah. What about it coming from a freight train, Jace? Why? Well, there's tracks about a mile north of here. Freight's use a side and a pull-on when passengers got to pass. Hmm. Maybe it all ties in, Sheriff. A shoe with a hole in it, grease, freight siding. Yeah, might be worth going after. Where do we start? Here at the car first. I'm going to check it over inch by inch. Meantime, you get hold of a freight schedule. I'll meet you at your office. When I checked the car inside and out, I found a few things that were interesting and a little puzzling. I sent a sample of grease to the laboratory for analysis and took plastic casts of the footprints. Then went on to Sheriff Caldwell's office. He had the information I'd requested. Here it is, Jace. Schedule of freights went through yesterday. How many? Three of them. You can check those, all right. Of course, we might be sending the dogs up the wrong tree. Looks like a hobo to me. Yeah. Let me see the dead man's fingerprints. Sure, here you are. These match with some of the prints in the car, see? Closed Delta. Yeah. Uh, How about those others you got? Picked these up on the door that had the grease on it. Smeared all over. Couple clear enough to use, only... Only what, Jace? You know, there wasn't a single print on the steering wheel. Seems like the dead man's prints ought to be on it. Gloves? I didn't find any gloves on him, nor in the car. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I got a call out if any hobo picked up or seen on those trains. Good. Oh, I found these tucked under the sun visor in front of the driver's seat. Gasoline receipts made out to Carl Thompson. Oh, that'll save a lot of checking. Move forward the dead man's prints anyway. That steering wheel bothers me. Excuse me, Jace. Sheriff Caldwell. Oh, yeah. Good. Hold him. We'll be there as soon as we can make it. Something else, Jace. Brakeman in one of those freights we've been checking has a story. Some hobo slugged him and jumped. Okay. Let's go. Brakeman took us to the approximate spot the hobo jumped off the freight. Sheriff Caldwell and I picked up the trail and followed it by horse. We hoped to apprehend the suspect before he could reach a town and lose himself and us. After six hours, we stopped. What's the matter, Jace? Tracks are different. Come here and take a look. Different? Yeah, look. The right print's a little deeper, favoring his left a little. Hurt himself, huh? Must have twisted his leg when he took the jump off the freight. Kept getting worse. Sat down here, smoked a cigarette. Here's the butt. He ain't going to make such a good time with a bum leg. We've been traveling at a steady trot. Uh-huh. Okay. Let's get going. <laughs> Suspect's trail showed increased favoring of his left leg. His progress became slower. More and more often he stopped to rest and the trail became fresher and fresher. Evidence in a deserted shack showed suspect had rested there for quite a while. We picked up the trail again. We're getting close, Sheriff. How do you know? Notice something just now. Take a look at these prints. Same as the ones we've been following. Not quite. 
hole in the right shoe. It's not that. I'm talking about this anthill he crushed. Well, what about it? Quite a few of the prints had anthills in them, crushed and rebuilt. So? And start working on a new hill when the old one's been tramped down. This one's so fresh, they haven't had time to rebuild. Hey, that's right. He can't be far off. Yes, we better leave the horses tied up here, Sheriff, and start moving on foot. and he denied anything and everything about the crime. We took him back and I kept questioning him, but he stuck to his story. I never was there. I didn't do it. Never own a gun? 38 police special? I told you a hundred times. I never owned no kind of gun. How'd you take all that skin off your arm? I don't know. Fell, maybe. You got that while you were running away. When you jumped off the freight, after you slugged the brakeman. No, no. Grease on your jacket. How'd it get there? Uh, maybe, maybe off in the freight. Sure. That car we showed you, the one you said you'd never seen before. That's the truth. Is it? Hold up your right foot. Huh? Hold it up. Uh, Hold in the right shoe. Uh, what of it? Here's a plaster cast. Cast at the print of the scene of the murder. Take a good look. Uh, but I wasn't there, I tell you. Ever hear of fingerprints? Oh, sure. Here are yours. And here's a set found at the crime. They match. You still say you weren't there? I didn't kill nobody. Let me see your hands. When did you wash them last? I don't know. Maybe a couple of days ago. You know, we can tell if you fired a gun. I never had no gun. Did you rob the man in the car? No, no. Look at me. You were there, weren't you? We can prove it. Well, all right. All right, I was there. But I didn't kill him. Why'd you lie? Well, I was scared. If you're innocent, you don't have to be scared. Look, Ranger, I, I got a couple of wraps, bag wraps. Is that all? Hey, sure, sure. We can check that, too. All right, all right. I got a couple of wraps for thinking stuff. Nothing big. Now, look. Tell me exactly what you did. Well, well I, I come in off afraid. I was walking across when I seen the car. Figured it was funny, something funny. Why? Well, car parked like that. Then I walked over, seen the fella in there. He was dead. I beat it. Hopped the freight. That all? You know what else? Up to now. Did you get in the car at uh, all? No, sir. No, sir. Did you touch the body or take anything from I, it? I swear, Range, I didn't. Did you touch the steering wheel and then wipe it off? Well, wipe it? No, no. What for? Look, I tell you. I... Jace? Yeah, Sheriff. Come here, will you? Sure. You stay put. I got no place to go. Here's all the dope in the murdered man, Thompson. Come in just now. Carl Thompson, resident Tulsa, Oklahoma, traveling salesman for Prince Extract Company. This checked? Double. Tallies with the gasoline receipts. Mm -hmm. What about him? A hobo? Yeah. I think the only crime he committed was failure to report what he saw. His fingerprints were all over the outside of the one door of that car, none inside. Seems to me if he thought of cleaning up the inside, he'd have done the same outside. Yeah, looks like it. We'll give him the paraffin test anyway and see if he's fired a gun lately. And if he didn't? Start all over. And start with that clean steering wheel. pending further investigation. I reported back to my captain, Stinson, at company headquarters. 
I told him I was pretty sure that the hobo story checked out. Yeah, it looks like it. But somebody killed Thompson. Killed him and then drove him in his own car to where that rancher spotted it. There wasn't anything on Thompson, huh? No money, no papers, only these. Gasoline charge account receipts. Somebody went to an awful lot of trouble to clean him, but they overlooked these. Mm Mm-hmm. On top, this looks like a plain case of murder with robbery as the motive, but if that was it... Why go to all the risk of being spotted in a car with Oklahoma plates? Why not just kill him and leave him? I don't know, Jace. What's your thinking? Well, Thompson was a traveling salesman, traveled a lot in a few days. Now, suppose the killer realized that with Thompson far enough away from the scene of the crime, we'd have a pretty tough time finding out just where the murder was committed. Yeah, that could be. But why? Well, maybe the killer couldn't leave the spot. So he did the next best thing, took Thompson's body away. And maybe it wasn't just robbery. Or what else? I don't know yet, but... I got some more checking to do. It'll take maybe a couple of hours, and then I might have some answers. Well, a couple hours on the nose, Jace. Get anything new? Some more dope on Thompson, Captain. He never carried much money, never was known to have picked up a hitchhiker, and I got a pretty good idea of where he was killed. These gasoline receipts tell a fair story. Yeah? How? Well, this one, for example, dated the 15th day before he was killed, made out in Bannon. He got 16 gallons of gas there. Oh, did you ever think somebody else might have been using his credit card? Yeah, but Thompson traveled that route pretty often. Chances are he was well-known at the service stations. Yeah, that's right. Okay, go on. I ran a mileage test on his car. He got about 17 miles a gallon. Now, his tank holds 16. I did a little figuring. Just about enough gas was used to get him from Bannon to where his body was found. But he could have been killed anywhere between Bannon and where he was found dead. Sure, I know that. But it still looks like my next stop is Bannon. Howdy. Uh, how many? Whatever she'll take. Ah, uh, sure thing. You the owner here? Ah, uh, yes, sir. How long? Oh, a couple of years. You work alone? Nights, yeah. Take a look at this, will you? Uh, one of my receipts. Credit card stuff. You know this Carl Thompson? Yeah, I see him ever, oh, four or five months. When did you see Thompson last? The evening he bought that gas. Why, anything wrong, Ranger? Was Thompson alone that evening? Why, yeah. I never remember him ever having anybody alone. What else do you remember about that evening? Oh, one of the worst sleet storms we ever had. Hit like a... Oh, it'd be tough for him to drive then, huh? Oh, sure. Hey, um, he was asking about some place to stay. He never stayed in Bannon before? I don't know. Leastways, he didn't know much about the places. I told him to try the hotel. He said it was full up. He said the motels were jam-packed. The lousy weather... You know where he went? Well, said he was going to try and find a place along the highway. Why, anything wrong? Plenty. Here's for the gas. I might come back and ask you some more questions. Thanks. I began a check of every possible place Thompson might have stayed that night. But I drew one blank after another. 
Then I got a lead at a motel on the outskirts of Bannon. Sure, Ranger, I remember that night. Sleep was an inch thick. We was full up here, but I sent him to a place down the highway, the Star Motel. Been closed and up for sale for quite a spell, but I heard it was opened up again. I went to the Star Motel. It was closed tight. Every cabin was locked, the windows boarded. There wasn't a soul around. I was just about to leave when I noticed something. The electricity must have been on somewhere in the place because the little wheel under the dials of the meter was spinning. It was enough to send me back into town to ask a few more questions. Now, uh, let me see, Ranger. Storm Hotels. Uh, yes, sir, here's what we want right here. Uh-huh. Are these all the electricity bills? Yes, sir. Let me see. Up to three months ago, the bills were just for meter installation, minimum service charge. That's right, Ranger. For the last three months, 475, 389, 560. Hmm. Kind of funny, isn't it? The place is closed, but for the last three months, the bills have averaged over $4 a month. Didn't that seem peculiar to you? Well, Ranger, we, we just sure. Sure, I know. Now, can you give me the name of the person to whom these bills were sent? Get it for you right away. Why, yes, Ranger, Mr. Carlson's here. I believe he's on the phone right now, but if you come in... Thank you, ma'am. You Mrs. Carlson? Yes. I hope I'm not bothering you any, Miss Carlson. Not at all, Ranger. My husband's here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I see. Well, I think that can be arranged. Yeah, sure. Tell you what, I'll come out a little later. I'll bring the client with me. Sure. Thanks for calling. Goodbye. Andy, this is Ranger Pearson. Oh, hello. Sorry to barge in like this, Mr. Carlson, but I got a few questions. Questions? Sure, what about? You own the Star Motel, don't you? Yes, I do. Star Motel? Oh, that white elephant. White elephant? <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to get rid of it for two years. Why? Well, like Betsy said, it ain't been worth a hoot since the new highway went in two years ago. Only half the traffic that used to pass it. It hasn't been used for two years? Well, I guess I didn't mean exactly that. What did you mean? I tried to keep it going for a year after the highway went through, but couldn't rent enough rooms. It wasn't worth trying to save. You got the keys to it? Keys? Oh, sure. Is something wrong, Ranger? Might be, ma'am. Can you take me through the motel, Mr. Carlson? Anytime. Right now, suit you? Couldn't be better. Let's go. Ain't been out here for close on three or four weeks. Did you go through the cabins then? Oh, just take a look. See, kids sometimes fool around. That's why I boarded up the windows. Want to take a look in the office? Yeah. Go ahead, Mr. Carlson. Sure. Nothing in here, Ranger? Nope, there's not. Anything in particular you're looking for? Yeah. You have this floor washed lately? Oh, heck no. Ain't no use paying for something like that. It's been washed recently. Huh? But why? How do you know? 
Scrubbing wood with hot water always raises the grain. And hot water isn't as good as cold to wash out blood stains. Blood? Blood? Reach! Hold oh, oh, What's the matter? Wait, what comes, Ranger? Hold it. Sit down. Go on. Come on. What the devil is this? Who are you fellas? My guess is a couple of men I want for murder, Mr. Kelson. Murder? Just check the telephone wire. Everything okay? Yeah, trust that guy. Me? Why, I never carry a gun. Well, we just make sure. Yeah, he's clean. All right, now strip the ranger's gun belt. Wait a minute. You got the drop on me. Maybe I'd have to be a fool to draw. But if you don't want me to be a fool, don't touch these guns. You try and take them off me and I'll go down using them. And I might get lucky. All right, Locke. Let him alone. He's too smart to start anything. Go get the panel truck out and start loading our stuff fast. Well, what about them? We can lock them in. Fix their car so they can't get out of here for a while after we leave. If they try to come out while we're still here, we'll blast whatever door or window they try to come through. Get that, Ranger? I get it. Okay. I'll be outside, Chuck. So your name's Chuck, huh? Good as any. What are you and that other fellow doing in my place? Go ahead, Chuck. Tell him. Some other time, friend. Now you two listen. Because I ain't going to say this twice. Try to bust out before you hear us drive off and you'll get it good. Now stay put. They got us locked in. Yeah. Don't go near that window. You heard what he said. Little crack in the boarding. I'm just taking a look. What are they doing? Come here and take a look for yourself. I should have watched the place more. I, I never knew anyone who's used it. And used plenty. Look what they're taking out. Furs. All kinds of stuff. It's beginning to make sense. Closed down motel, made a nice storage bin for stolen and smuggled goods till they could run it to the markets. Oh, they'll get away. You you said there was a murder. Take it easy, Mr. Calson. We'll get them. Oh, they'll be across the border in a half an hour before we could even reach a phone. Maybe you'd better take a chance and get shot down in cold blood. No. But we'll get them all right. Know why, Mr. Calson? Why? <laughs> Because you help. I pinned Calson with a quick headlock and then got one arm up behind him and applied pressure so I could keep him still while I had a free hand. I reached into his jacket and found what I was looking for under his shoulder. Then I pushed him. Are you crazy? He almost broke my arm. Shut up, Calson. Don't you think I saw this gun bulging under your coat? And they deliberately missed it when they frisked you? You played it real smart, almost. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. This gun and the electric bills. You paid them. Paid bills that were being run up in a place that was supposed to be shut down. Seemed kind of funny you never complained to the power company. So what? Well, you, so you well, got a phone call from your friends out there. They tipped you because they saw me nosing around here earlier, right? Oh. Okay. Okay, take a look out there. They're almost finished. In a couple of minutes, they'll be gone. In half an hour, they'll be over the border. How about you? You want to stick back here and face a murder charge? There's nothing you can prove. There's plenty we can prove, Calson. And you're holding the bag. You'll have a tough time explaining those electric bills and them missing your gun. I didn't kill that man. Did this Chuck do it? Yeah, yeah, that salesman come in. So was going on. Chuck killed him, then drove him away. All right. Now listen real careful to me. I'm going to fire this gun of yours. Then you hammer on the door and holler for him. Get it? What do you want to Just do Just listen. When they come up, tell them you had to kill me. Tell them to open the door. Then Mr. Kelson step back and out of the way fast. They'll be gone in a minute. Make up your mind. All right. Go ahead. I'll do it. Any funny tricks and you get it first. Now. Ready? Hey, sir. Open that door and holler. 
Chuck, Lark, give me a pass. Open the door. Now, when it's open, get back. What's the matter? Carlton, open the door. I had to kill him. He was making a break for it. Did you just knock him out? Reach, both of them. Hey, what's the big idea? Why, you... Oh! Oh! We'll come back for him later, Carlson. Meantime, let's you and me get back to town. I got you a deal for this white elephant motel. You can trade it for a jail cell. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of... The Texas Rangers... will soon be seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Saddle Trim. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Paul McVeigh, Lou Krugman, Jeff Corey, Robert Bruce, Byron Kane, and Jeanette Nolan. This story was transcribed and adapted by Russell Hughes. The program was produced and directed by Stacy Keith. And this is Hal Gibney speaking. This is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen Monday night to Frank Lovejoy and Night Beat on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Listen tomorrow for the Summer Symphony. Now it's Basin Street time on NBC. From July the 15th, back in 1950, that was Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. The name of that one was White Elephant, as originally heard on NBC. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. Well, if you were alive in 1947, on Tuesday nights, you were probably gathered in front of the radio to listen to Fibber McGee and Molly. Boy, we have a funny one tonight. This one originally aired on the 27th, I think it is, of May, and um, that was again in 1947, and of course it was on NBC. One of my favorite uh, gimmicks that they would do is when they would have Fibber be an expert in something, and tonight he is uh, trying to show Molly what an expert cookie is in preparing an old McGee recipe for Shrimps McGee. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. Here it comes. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of John-
Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Leaving a restless man like Mr. McGee alone in a house is like turning a child loose in a fireworks factory with a box of matches. That's why Mrs. McGee is hurrying home from a shopping trip with her arms full of bundles and her heart full of apprehension. As we join, Fibber McGee and Molly! I suppose it's silly worrying like this. He doesn't have to get into trouble every time I leave. But he always does. The last time I left him alone... Oh, McGee, dearie. I'm home. McGee, where are you? McGee? Is that you, Molly? Come on out in the kitchen. I got a surprise for you. Oh, no, not again. <laughs> Heavenly days, my kitchen. What happened? Did the stove blow up? What do you mean, did the stove blow up? Can't a man do a little cooking without a lot of nasty comment? Well, I hate to seem critical, dearie, but I haven't seen so many disgraceful-looking pots since the fat man's race at the Elks picnic. (laughs) What are you making? Shrimps McGee. I beg your pardon? Shrimps McGee. It's an old family recipe I found in the attic. My grandmother brung it east in a covered wagon in 1849. The covered wagons went west, sweetheart. Not with Grandma, they didn't. That old gal wasn't going to ride 2,000 miles with the sun in her eyes. Ah, touche. Huh? I said touche. Oh. That's a French word meaning pull your dagger out of my biceps, I'm bowling tonight. Well, let me see now. I better check this recipe again. Let's see now. Hey, is there a spring house around here any place? A what? A spring house. The recipe says run down to the spring house and fetch a crock of butter and have Miller grind five ears of corn. (laughs) Well, I can't do it right away, Pat. I have to oil my spinning wheel. Mm -hmm. And then go shoot some squirrels for dinner. Look, uh, would I be prying into the family's secret, sweetheart, if I asked what this mess is boiling on the stove? This mess? Why, that's the sauce. It's the sauce that's the main thing with Shrimps McGee. Yeah? Betcha, in 15 minutes, I add two tablespoons full of sorghum molasses, five drops of vinegar, a twist of an orange peel, and a pint of horseradish. <laughs> a what of horseradish? A pint. It says right here that... Oh, it says a pinch of horseradish. No. <laughs> Grandma's handwriting is a little wriggly. Huh? This is the trickiest question. Hmm. Now, if that's Oscar of the Waldorf, I'll pretend I don't know you. Come in. McGee? Oh, we're out in the kitchen, Latrive. Oh. oh. Hello there. I was just going... Good heavens, what are you doing? Moving? <laughs> no, we're not moving. It's a logical question, however, sweetheart. You've got dishes out that I'd forgotten we had. I'm making Shrimps McGee, Latrive. Old family recipe. My grandmother was notorious for it. I'll bet she was. (laughs) Was she terribly lonesome, McGee, after the family ran away? 
They didn't run away, Mr. Mayor. They were carried away. Okay, okay, okay. Scoff if you want to deride. But by George, when you fling a lip over this... Uh Uh-oh, it's time to put in the potatoes. Hand me that bowl over there, Latrive. Oh, yeah, here you are. Did you say potatoes? That's what I says, potatoes. What's the idea of cutting them into cubes and putting all those black spots on them? Well, the recipe says dice seven to eleven potatoes. (laughs) Now stand back. I don't want to splash anybody. (laughs) There we are. Well, I don't have to add the rhubarb and the coconuts for 12 minutes yet. Uh, did your um, grandmother live to a ripe old age, McGee? 103. Broke her neck breaking a Mustang in Wyoming. <laughs> well, if Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer has any trouble with Mickey Rooney, McGee, they can send for you. What do you mean? You're from a hardy family yourself. <laughs> cute. <laughs> well, if you're through with the egg beater, dearie, I'll wash it and put it away. No, 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 no. Don't do that. I haven't whipped the sauerkraut juice yet. Oh. <laughs> sauerkraut juice. I never... You know, that sauce actually smells delicious. Well, Natch. Natch. Well, look, I got a few minutes here before I had to have to add any more ingredients, Latrive. <laughs> so let's chat. I'd love to, McGee. But I've got to get back to the city hall. Yeah? I've just gotten a report that Russia has recalled her consul for talking too much. Talking too much? What did he say? Said yes. Good day. My goodness, if there's one thing I don't understand, it's international politics. Now, me either. Give me something simple like one of Grandma's recipes. Hey, hand me my razor there, will you, on the sink? What's the razor for? Well, the recipe says shave three carrots, and I got them all lathered up here, ready to go. Hey there, Johnny! Hey, daughter! Oh, it's the old-timer, McGee. Anybody home, kid? Not not a soul, old-timer. We went out. Oh, well, in that case, I'll come back later. (laughs) Well, for goodness sakes, McGee, he left. Oh, my gosh, you should have known I was only kidding. Mmm, boy, oh boy. Just get a whiff of that stuff, will you, Molly? Don't it smell good? I haven't hardly got it started yet, and it already seems to me... Hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Oh, hi, old-timer. Come on in. Yes, do, Mr. Old-timer. We thought you'd gone. Nope. I was here a while ago, but you were out, so I, uh... Uh, What's cooking, Johnny? (laughs) On the front burner. Well, uh, himself here is making shrimps McGee, Mr. Old-timer. It's a recipe that's been handed down through his family for years. And personally, I'd hand it right back. (laughs) We had something like that in our family, daughter. Yeah? It was handed down from father to son, son to grandson, grandson to nephew, and nephew to me. None of us ever cared much for it, though. You didn't, eh? What was it? Whooping cough. Well, McGee's pretty hard to please like that, too, Mr. Oldtimer. I've seen him refuse to eat curried chicken because the curry comb had a broken tooth. (laughs) That's pretty good, daughter, but that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says to tell the feller, say, he said, see where one of them eastern hotels has got a device now that makes the bed, sweeps the floor, and airs out the room all at the same time. Is that so, says t'other feller. What is it? A vacuum cleaner gadget? Nope, says the first feller. 
three chambermaids. <laughs> well, I just dropped in to tell a joke. That was it. So long, kid. <laughs> when you finish your grandmother's recipe, dearie. Yeah. My kitchen looks like an explosion in a dining car. Well, Shrimps McGee is a complicated concoction, Tootsie. The only dish I know of that takes more time is Acorn's Bordelaise. <laughs> Acorn's Bordelaise? What's that? That's a delicacy that really takes time. Why? Well, you soak an acorn in salt water and peanut oil for five weeks, then plant it in rich topsoil. Yeah. When the oak tree is shoulder high, you rub the bark every two years with nutmeg and throw away the first six crops of acorns. <laughs> the seventh crop, you store eight months in a dry room in a white muslin bag. And then? Then you throw away the acorns, make a chef's cap out of the muslin bag, and fry yourself a manhole cover, which by that time will taste like a crepe Suzette. <laughs> And you know what I... Oh, I forgot to order the shrimps. Hand me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Jimmy Sales Market at 41150. Oh, is that you, Mert? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard your voice for a long time, Mert. Where you been? Oh, working in a laundry while the union arbitrated, eh? Very intelligent of her, too. Yeah. Says she wanted to iron while the strike was hot. Hey, Mert, give me the market, will you? I forgot to order some shrimps, and I... Huh? I says I forgot to order some... Oh, I did? Oh, thanks a lot, Mert. She says I called up and ordered them three hours ago. Well, maybe we can deduct our phone bill as secretarial service. Yeah. You know something, dearie? It doesn't make any sense, but that sauce you're making smells simply marvelous. Well, it should. I'm putting everything I have into it. (laughs) Say, you know what? Yeah? I'm going to have so much of this stuff, I should have asked Latrive to stay for dinner. I never thought of it. Well, you go ahead and cook. I'll give him a ring at the city hall. Oh, my gosh, look what I did. This pan came apart. Well, that pan's supposed to come apart, dearie. That's a double boiler. Oh. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the recipe says to use. Imagine my grandmother knowing about a thing like that. People always claim she could look into the future. You know, this might turn out to be quite a party, dearie. Well, we got plenty of stuff. See if you can get Doc Gamble and Wimple to come over, too. All right, I will. And, dearie, uh-huh. when you fill all the pots and pans in the kitchen, there are two laundry tubs in the basement and a sprinkling pan in the garage. <laughs> Let me know if there's anything I can do for uh, you. Okay, Snooky. <laughs> ah, there goes a good kid. She thinks I'm making half of this recipe up as I go along. <laughs> ah, but she's so wrong. I'm making it all up. <laughs> if my grandmother ever had it. A... Come in. Hi, Mr. Wilcox. Where's Mr. McGee? He's out in the kitchen, Teeny. Oh, thank you. Hi, Mr. McGee. Oh, hello there, Teeny. Now, don't get in my way now because I'm very busy. Like it, I bet you. What you cooking, Mister? Hmm. Special recipe, sis. Shrimps McGee. Been in the family for a hundred years. Oh, and they're still good. <laughs> the recipe, sis, not the shrimps. Now look, I- I'm a very busy man. Was there anything you wanted? Sure. Okay, let's have it. I got a little problem in arithmetic, Mister. Yeah, eh? Yes, I was. Hmm. I says you have, eh? You have what? A little problem in arithmetic. Who? You. Me? Yes. I know it. 
much is a scab? Hmm, how much is it? Hmm. A what's this? No, not a what's this. <laughs> a scab. Willie Toop says his uncle has scabs of money, and I can't argue with him because I don't know how much is a scab, I bet you. <laughs> well, that's a very simple problem, sis. That's the craniform system of tabulation. Well, Willie's... Hmm? <laughs> well, you see, Teeny, the metrical system is based on units of ten, like tens, hundreds, thousands, millions, etc. Sure. We got that in school, I bet you. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Now then, the craniform system is based on units of several. You see, you know what a oodle is. No. <laughs> no. But everybody says my dog has oodles of fleas. <laughs> exactly. There are several scads in a oodle, plenty of oodles to a gob, uh. lots of gobs to a heap, uh. and batches of heaps to a load, and... Multifarious loads to a galore. <laughs> Understand? Well. <laughs> no. Well, let's put it this way. Suppose you had several oodles of peanuts. Somebody gives you a heap more. How many scads would you have? Loads, I bet you. <laughs> loads of scads or lots of gobs or a batch of heaps. <laughs> and if you had heaps of loads, what would you have? Peanuts galore. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. I never knew anybody to pick up the craniform system that fast before in all my life. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Can I ever argue with Willie Toops now? <laughs> Wait a minute now. Hmm? How many is a galore again? Well, don't worry about that, sis. That's such a big figure, you'll hardly ever use it. Oh. Galores are used in astronomy to count the stars with. Oh, now I know. You know what? That's why they call the American flag old Glory. Hmm? Sure, because it's got so many stars. No. Oh, thanks ever so much, mister. Thanks, just scared. You're welcome a heap, sis. Well, goodbye, mister. A goat that ate tin cans and then would eat the lids. He didn't care for people much, but loves his wife and kids. <laughs> oh, the monkey and the coconut. Hey, Molly, is everybody here? Everybody but Mr. Wimple, dearie. Mayor Latrivia and Harlow are in the other room, and Dr. Gamble just arrived. Oh, fine. Yes, and say, if this concoction of yours is as good as it smells, McGee, you can sign me up as a regular boarder. It does smell good, doesn't it, Doctor? It certainly does. I can hunt. What are you doing now, Prudence? <laughs> I'm adding the final touch to this recipe, Nosy. It says squeeze two lemons, and I'm squeezing them. But you didn't cut them in two, did you? It didn't say anything about cutting them in two. <laughs> Just said to squeeze them. When I follow a recipe, I follow it. You may be following it, but you'll never catch up with it. <laughs> By the way, my dear, what's the name of this dish the little twitch puss is whipping up? Shrimp's Creole? No, Doctor. Shrimp's McGee. I used to make shrimp's Creole, Doc, but you can't get the real imported Creoles anymore. <laughs> domestic stuff. The war, you know. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. I was going to make some lionese potatoes the other night, but lions have gone up, so I couldn't afford it. <laughs> well, let me know when you're ready for the customers. Okay. I'll be in the living room entertaining your other guests with my homespun humor. Okay, boy. Have the shrimps arrived yet, dearie? No, but I checked with the market, and the boy's on the way. It only takes 20 minutes to cook the shrimps in this sauce, huh? Oh, hi, Wimp. 
finally got here, eh? Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> I'll have this stuff ready as soon as the shrimps get here, Wimp. Just tighten your belt and loosen your teeth and stand by. My, it certainly smells delicious, Mr. McGee. It's an old family recipe, Wimp. Hey, uh, hand me that clothespin, will you? Thanks. Now, uh, McGee, you're not going to put that clothespin in the sauce. No, nope, I'm going to put it on my nose. i got to chop an onion. <laughs> better way to do it is underwater, Mr. McGee. I know, but I can't hold my breath that long, Wimp. <laughs> You don't have to get into the pan with the onion, dearie. Just your hands. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah, in the pan. Hey, that's a great idea. You must be a cook yourself, Wimp. Well, yes, in a way, Mr. McGee. I do a lot of cooking on camping trips when I go out in the woods with my bird book. Your what, Mr. Wimple? My bird book. I saw a scarlet-tailed Pennsylvania swallow yesterday. No. You didn't. Yes, I did. Did you ever hear a swallow sing? No. How does it go, Wimp? It goes, duck, 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 like that. <laughs> oh, we have some really odd-feathered friends around here, folks. Like the ass-cap bird. The ass-cap bird? Yes. That perches on a telephone wire and sings, hit parade, hit parade, hit parade. <laughs> I think you just made that up, Mr. Wimple. Maybe I did. By the way, does Sweetie Face ever go on camping trips with you? You mean my big old wife? <laughs> yes, her. No, Sweetie Face doesn't like camping out anymore. Mm-hmm. Not since we went up into Alaska and she got scolded by a game warden. Why? What was she doing, Wimp? Frightening the grizzly bears. <laughs> and then she had a rather painful experience with some big game up there. You mean she was followed by a mountain lion or something, Mr. Wimple? No. She caught a bad cold one day when her canoe sank, and every time she blew her nose, a moose mistook it for a mating call. Heavenly day. Well, uh, how did her canoe happen to sink? Uh, Strike a snag or something? No. Somebody had deliberately punched a little hole in the bottom of it. Well, how do you know somebody did it deliberately? (laughs) Oh, I know all right. Well, I'm afraid I'm a little in the way here. I'll go join the other fellows. Besides, I think I saw some stuffed dates on the coffee table. <laughs> you know, McGee, I used to feel sorry for Mr. Wimple, but I'm beginning to wonder. Me too. When it comes to Sweetie Face, he has more dirty tricks than a bridge game in a coal mine. <laughs> hey, those shrimps ought to be here any minute. How many did you order, sweetheart? Oh, plenty. A whole pound. A pound? Why, good heavens, huh? McGee, that would barely be enough for you and me to say what? nothing of all those hungry men. What? Don't they swell up? Like beans? No. Oh, my gosh. Are you sure? No. Oh, it's too late to get any more. The market's closed by now, and I... Come in. I'll take it, son. Much obliged. going to do, McGee? You've got enough sauce there for 7,000 shrimp and enough shrimps for three ounces of sauce. Well, don't worry, kiddo. I got out of worse jams than this. I remember one time... Well, I'll be... Why, these aren't shrimps. These are sardines. I told that market distinctly to send me shrimps, and look at this. Sardines. Sardines. What was that? Sardines. Sardines in that beautiful sauce. Sardines. That reminds me. I have a very important council meeting. Excuse me. Sardines. My goodness. Come to think of it, Sweetie Face doesn't know where I am. I better be going home. Well, good night. I'd love to stay myself, but I just got word from the hospital. Serious case. Compound resumption of interior delistrum. I'll be back if I can make it. Thanks anyway. But, Doctor, uh... Hey, Doc hasn't got his car here. I better drive him. Hey, Doc, wait a minute. I'll take you to the hospital. (laughs) Oh... Well, 
What do we do now, dearie? Well, that's simple. We sit down and have ourselves a nice platter of shrimps McGee. With those sardines? <laughs> I'm no fool, kiddo. These aren't sardines. These are shrimp. And you were right. There's just enough for the two of us. <laughs> what would Madame like for an appetizer? Uh... Yeah, that's the last of it, kiddo. Not bad, eh? Best shrimp I ever ate. Yep. I'd like to propose a toast, dearie. Whom to? To your grandmother. Oh. May she rest in peace and in the knowledge that the McGee tradition of culinary perfection is being carried on. Thank you. May I ask one question? Pray do. Where do we keep the bicarbonate of soda? <laughs> I have it right here. Oh, good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Marla Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products, the home and industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. From May 27, 1947, that was Jim and Marion Jordan. The name of that episode was Shrimps McGee. Actually, it was fa old family recipe, Shrimps McGee. <laughs> I, man, it made me hungry. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind a little shrimp right now. As the music indicates, it is time for Gunsmoke, everybody. We have a good episode tonight, originally broadcast on CBS, way back on March the 14th in 1953. And the name of this episode is Cyclone, when old man Bartlett mysteriously sells his ranch to a group of strangers. Matt smells a rat. This one was written by Les Crutchfield. It features Vivi Janice, Howard, uh, Harry Bartell, 
Lawrence Dopkin, Joe Cranston, and the usual cast of suspects. So here it comes from March 14, 1953. This is Gunsmoke Cyclone. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Ladies and gentlemen, later on tonight's program, you'll hear a special message from the Honorable Edward F. Arne, Governor of the State of Kansas. But now we bring you the first act of Gun Smoke. Where it's going to be spring before we know it, Mr. Dillon. Uh, this weather won't hold, Chester. We always got a rip-snorter after a spell like this. I sure don't look much like it today. <laughs> I even heard a meadowlark this morning. It's early for meadowlarks, isn't it? Yes, sir, that's what I'm telling you. Spring is downright staring us in the face. <laughs> well, the Texas Trail's kind of lively for this time of the afternoon. Well, it'll be livelier if you're right about spring and those trail herds start rolling in. Well, look who's here. And in the daytime, too. Well, howdy, Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty. Isn't it wonderful out? And guess what, Matt? I heard a meadowlark this morning. <laughs> you and Chester. Huh? I've been telling you, Miss Kitty, spring is just around the corner. Uh-huh. Kitty? Yeah. How come there's such a crowd in here? Oh, you mean the boys at the bar? Yeah. Well, it's some of the riders from the Cyclone Ranch. They're celebrating. Well, it seems to me they were celebrating Saturday night. They're making kind of a long weekend out of it. Oh, Jim Paulson said they all went back to the ranch Monday morning, but they got paid off. What? Yeah, the ranch was sold. Sold? You mean old man Bartlett sold out? I hadn't heard anything about it. Well, that's what they said. The new owner had already taken over some stranger. He's the one who paid him off. He brought his own riders with him. What's this stranger's name, Kitty? Well, I don't know, Matt. Ed Revere over there was Bartlett's foreman. Ask him. Yeah, I think I will. Excuse me. Howdy, Marshal. Figure on throwing us in the hooskow? <laughs> no, Ed, I wasn't planning on it. Um, do you happen to know where I can find old man Bartlett? Well, afraid you're out of luck. Him and his wife's left the country. At least, that's what the fellow that bought the ranch told us. You mean he didn't even stay around to pay you off? Nope. Made up his mind right sudden, I reckon. Guess this fellow Jed Wade made him a mighty good offer. Jed Wade, huh? Yeah. Texas man, more than likely. Ain't from around here, anyways. 
None of his cowboys, neither. Then you haven't seen old man Bartlett since you left the ranch and came into town Saturday morning, huh? Mary hiding her hair. And he didn't say anything last week about planning to sell? No, he didn't. Sure can't figure old man Bartlett selling out. Said he put half his life into that place and planned on living out the rest of it right there. Listen, Ed, let me ask you something. Oh, yeah. What do you figure about all this? I don't know, Marshal. Except it ain't quite right somehow. You don't think there's something crooked about it, do you? Marshal, I don't know what to think. But it just ain't like Bartlett to run out this way. If there's anything I can do... Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Ed. Marshal, I don't even have to look it up in the records. There's been no deed of sale on the Cyclone Ranch filed in this office. If there had, I'd know about it. Yeah, well, all right, thanks. That's all I wanted to know. Furthermore, there won't be one filed. Old man Bartlett will live out his life and die right there. You take it from me. Yeah, well, that's what I figured. Mr. Dillon? Oh, come on in, Chester. Sorry to interrupt, Mr. Mifflin. Oh, quite all right, sir. I believe our business is completed. Yeah, yeah. What'd you find out, Chester? I checked the depot and the stage lines, Mr. Dillon, and nobody in town hasn't seen neither one of them since last week. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, Chester. I guess we better ride out to the ranch. Looks like that new outfit brought some of their own cattle up from Texas, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, and they're wasting no time slapping a brand on them, either. Want to take a look at them? Uh, no. Let's ride on up to the house. I sure can't figure it, Mr. Dillon, working night and day to build up a good feeder ranch like this and then up and selling out without even thinking it over. Well, I can't figure it either, Chester. Oh, I... Golly, it sure is a fine ranch. We ain't hiring anybody. Better mount up and ride. Are you Jed Wade? Name's Dallas. I'm the range boss. Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Mr. Wade here? He's out in the barn. What do you want to see him about? Well, suppose I take that up with him, huh? And suppose you turn around and hightail it out of here. Whenever Jed's got business with the law, he'll come to you. Now, look, mister. Dallas, you had not to talk to visitors that way. Jed don't want strangers hanging around, Miss Wade. And he don't want you talking to strangers either. You better go on back in the house. I guess I know better than you what my own son wants. I'm the only one that understands him. You come right on inside, gentlemen. Mr. Dillon, did you say that was the name? Yes, ma'am, that's right. Uh, this is my partner, Chester Proudfoot. How do, ma'am? How do? You fellas wait right there. I'll go get Jed. I think we'll accept the lady's invitation. After you, ma'am. Why, thank you, Mr. Dillon. Surely does perk a body up to be having callers in her own house. Especially when you live so long from hand to mouth. I, uh... 
understand that you're new here, ma'am. Oh, yes. Yes, we were camped for three weeks down along the river. Nary a caller, just living in a wagon. Oh, do be seated, gentlemen. Thank you. Ain't this a real pretty place now? Why, when Jed and Dallas rode back to camp Sunday morning and said they'd just bought a real bargain, I couldn't dream they meant something like this. A body just can't figure why the owners would ever want to sell it and leave. Uh, would you gentlemen care for some cold be- buttermilk? Uh, no, thank you, ma'am. Uh, you uh, didn't meet the owners yourself then, huh? No, no. They already gone when I came over. Oh, you mustn't mind Dallas, Mr. Dillon. He's really a good boy at heart. Him and Jed just picked up a habit of talking mean like that sometimes, and seems like people just don't understand it. Mr. Dillon, Jed ain't got himself into some kind of trouble again, has he? Again, Mrs. Wade? Well, it's like I said. People just don't understand Jed lots of times. It ain't easy to bring up a boy alone, and a body don't always know what's the right way to do and, and what's not. But Jed's real good-hearted down underneath. Once you understand him like I do, why, why the way he even talks to me sometimes would make you Get think it, that Mom. he was... Oh, son, I... What did I tell you about mouthing off to strangers? But I was Go only... Go back and get in the kitchen. Well, all right, son. If you say so. She's getting old. And it's been a hard trip up here. Dallas told me you was here, Marshal. What can I do for you? What do you want? I'd like to see your bill of sale for this ranch, Mr. Wade. What for? Well, I'll tell you after I see it. Are you trying to accuse me of something? Not if you've got a bill of sale signed by old man Bartlett. Well? All right, Marshal. Take a look. Uh huh. Satisfied now? Where did the Bartlett's go, Mr. Wade? They said they was leaving the country, and that's all I know about it. Yeah, you want to give me back my bill of sale now? Well, I'd like to take it into town and check the signature, if you don't mind. Go ahead. It'll check. And then you've got nothing to worry about, have you? Nary thing, Marshal. Now, I don't know what's on your mind, but you're barking up wrong tree. me, Mr. Dillon, I'd say that Wade and his partner are ornery enough for anything. Just plumb, cussed, downright, sneak in mean. Uh, maybe so, Chester. But you can't jail a man for meanness, not as long as it only comes out in words. I suppose. There ought to be a law of some kind. Now, take like the way he talks to his mom. I don't see how she can put up with it. She's his mother, Chester. Well, I know that, oh, but there's hello, no... Oh, Matt. Oh, hiya, Doc. Yeah, just getting ready to close up the office. 
How about feeding with me? Uh, later, maybe, Doc. Uh, say, uh, Doc, you still got that bill of sale on that horse you bought last fall from old man Bartlett? Oh, sure, I guess so, Matt. Why? Well, I just want to check Bartlett's signature. That's Why, what do you got there? I know his signature pretty well. Let me take a look at that now, man. Oh, here. Uh, see what you think, huh? Uh, hey, oh, oh, yes, that's old man Bartlett's scroll, all right, of course it is. Well, maybe I was wrong. Yes, sir. It looks that way, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. But only about the bill of sale, Chester. We still don't know what happened to the Bartlett's. crowd in town tonight, Mr. Dillon. In here, too. Must be the feel of spring in the air. It gets a man on the prod, makes him feel good. Uh, not me, Chester. Yes, sir, I've been noticing that. You haven't said one dozen words in the last hour. It don't do a man any good to stay down in the dumps that way. Oh, drink your beer. Well, now, we just made a mistake, that's all. Got, got the wind up over nothing. Uh... Now we know it's old man Bartlett's signature, but I just can't help feeling that we haven't made a mistake. Well, maybe you ought to make one, Matt. Oh, hi, kitty. Everybody ought to make a mistake once in a while. Keeps them from getting old. Or else helps them along. What's your trouble, Matt? Oh, uh, feeling that somebody's guilty of not being able to prove it. It's that Cyclone Ranch business, Miss Kitty. Now, I know Bartlett didn't sell out. His signature is on that bill of sale, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, but a man can be made to sign something, Chester. Well, why don't you find Mr. Bartlett and ask him? Well, I'd settle for just finding him. I don't think I'd need to do any more asking. Do you mean that the way it sounds, Matt? Yeah. I know I'm jumping at conclusions, but... Now, the way things add up, it's the only answer that makes any sense. Well, I hope you're wrong, Matt. Well, so do I, but I don't think I am. Anyway, there's not much you can do about it right now. Why don't you forget it for a while? How about a round of drinks, Matt, in honor of spring? Spring, huh? <laughs> you and Chester. Well, it is, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, even the coyotes feel it. Did you hear him just after dark tonight yapping down along the river bottom? Yeah, I heard him. Uh, Kitty, would you mind if uh, we had that drink later? Well, all right. But where are you going? Well, I, I just thought that uh, Chester and I might take a little ride, that's all. Hold up a minute, Chester. Yes. Uh, be all right to roll a cigarette, Mr. Dillon? Uh, no, you better not. We're too close to the Bartlett place. Miss Kitty sure was right about those coyotes. Every one of them and his brothers out tonight, all yapping their fool heads off. Yeah. You suppose those coyotes really know it's spring coming, Mr. Dillon? It could be. They're sure scattered all over the countryside. Now, there seems to be more of them off there toward the river bottom, though. 
Yes, sir. Believe you're right, Mr. Dillon. Wonder why. I don't know. Might be worthwhile taking a look. Yes, sir. Come on. You know, it sounds to me like most of those coyotes are up around those river bluffs there by the bend. Yes, Mr. Dillon, I believe it does at that. Come on, Chester, let's ride over that way. They're on the other side of that willow thicket. Let's cut through the thicket here. Yeah. They must be awful interested in something, or they sure wouldn't let us get this close. Well, I guess they heard you, Chester. I think most of them are over there at the foot of the bank. Let's take a look. Come on. Chunk of the bank's caved off there, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Yeah, but the coyotes didn't do it. I've been trying to dig something up, not bury it. I wish there was more moonlight. Yes, sir. Well, if you'd have told me what we were up to, I could have brought a lantern. Well, I didn't know we were going to run into anything, Chester. Yes, sir. Uh, see if you can find a stick and let's scratch around in this loose dirt, huh? All right, sir. Anybody tried to tell me this morning that I'd be out here in the middle of the night digging in that dirt like a groundhog not even knowing what the same hill I was what is it Chester did you find something yes sir I sure have here let me see hunch you had, Mr. Dillon. Well, now we know why nobody saw the Bartlett's leave town. They killed him. They killed both of them. Yeah. After they made him sign that bill of sale. Hit the dirt, Chester. They came from the edge of the bank up there. Watch for the next flash. Yes, sir. Is that you, Wade? Just to the left of that sumac, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I saw it. You're under arrest for murder, Wade. Now throw down that gun and come out of there with your hands up. All right, Chester, let's open up on him. Careful, Chester. You may be faking it. Yes, sir. Only one thing, Mr. Dillon. It's not Wade. It's Dallas. Then let's go find Wade.
which is dark. Looks like they're all in bed. Well, it may be easier that way. Yes, sir. I wish there was some way of keeping his mother out of it. I don't see how it can be. Dennis? Is that you? Did you scare the coyotes away? I heard the shooting and I... It's not Dallas, ma'am. Why, it's the marshal and Mr. Prongfoot at this time of night. Well, this is quite a surprise. Yes, ma'am, I reckon so. Is Jed here? Well, I guess so. Maybe he's out in the barn or somewhere. What's wrong, Mr. Dillon? I sure do hope Jed ain't in some kind of trouble. I just want to talk to him, Miss Wayne. Why don't you go on back in the house, huh? And we'll see if we can find him. Well, all right, if you think best. You just go straight on back through the barn. I reckon you'll find him all right. Thank you, ma'am. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, I know. Keep yourself covered. I will. Sounds like he's working back there. Yeah. Bartlett put up enough prairie hay here to last for three years. Right on back, Dallas. Just about got these here running irons finished. Dallas won't be needing what? any running irons, Wade, or anything else. He's dead. We found where you buried the Bartlett's. That's where that shooting was. You and Dallas. You're under arrest for murder, Wade. And if you make a move, you're going to end up the same way Dallas did. How could I do anything, Marshal? I've got no gun. I noticed it hanging on the wall there behind you. You leave it there. Uh, sure. Now lay down that hammer and stick out your wrist. Uh, sure. Anything you say? He smashed the lantern, Mr. Dillon. Don't watch it, Chester. You'll have his gun now. That's right, Dillon. Get back, Chester. <laughs> Get back toward the door. I can't see a thing in all this smoke. <laughs> yeah, that haze is dry as powder. This barn's going to go up like a tinderbox. Wade! You haven't got a chance. Now come on out of there while you still can. Why don't you come back here and get me? Oh, that crazy fool... Come on out, now! The heat's getting awful bad, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Back toward the door, Chester. We're going to have to get out of here. Yes, sir. Let go up. Take it in. Let's tight, Chester. <laughs> even, even for a man like Wade... That's not a good way to die, Mr. Dillon. Oh, no way is when you come right down to it, Chester. Jed! Not so Jed! He's in there, Eddie! He's there with all that fire! I'm sorry, ma'am, but... You've got but... to do something! You've got to go get him out of there! No. I, I'm afraid there's no use, ma'am. I'll go in there, my dear! No, no, no. It's too Jed. late to help me. Jed! Always knowed it was going to end like this sometime. Always knowed it. I'm sorry, Miss Wade. Jed done something real bad, didn't he, Mr. Dillon? Him and Dallas. 
That's why you come back here. Yes, ma'am, I'm afraid so. They killed the people who owned this ranch. They buried them down along the riverbank. Those boys done a lot of bad things, Mr. Dillon. But I don't hold with killing. I'm sorry it had to happen this way, ma'am. Mr. Dillon, I'd like to ask a favor. Oh, why, certainly, ma'am. I come out here in a wagon. It's out back of the house. Now that it's getting light, if, if you'd hitch up my team to it, I'd like to go back to town with you. Chester. Yes, Mr. Dillon, I'll do it. I'll just take what I brought, Mr. Dillon. Nothing else. Well, just as you like, ma'am. It's all in the trunk. Funny thing. I never did unpack it. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Joe Cranston, and Jerry Hausner. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow night, Theater of Stars brings you Dana Andrews as a New England fisherman of the old school in a colorful, exciting drama of the clipper ship days titled The Token. Hear what happens when a determined young lady steals her sister's betrothal token and then sets out to steal the stalwart young fisherman as well. It's on Theater of Stars tomorrow night on most of these same stations, a feature presentation of CBS Radio at the Stars Address. And you've heard of people stopping the show. Well, there's a show on CBS Radio every Sunday evening that stops the people. It's the Jack Benny Show, of course. And when it comes on the air, practically everybody stops doing practically everything except laughing. So tomorrow night, just stop everything and listen to Jack Benny. He'll be on your favorite CBS radio station. George Walsh speaking. And remember, Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, also teaches you how to laugh Sundays on the CBS radio network. Saturday night back in 1953, on March the 14th to be exact, that was Gunsmoke 
That uh, particular story was written by Les Crutchfield, who wrote many episodes of Gunsmoke. I think he was the second most populous writer, I guess you would say, author of Gunsmoke scripts. Many of them uh, we heard and have heard right here. Also, many of them were later turned into uh, television scripts and seen uh, on CBS in the early days of television. Gunsmoke. Train whistle blowing makes a sleepy noise underneath their blankets go all the girls and boys rock and roll and riding how along the bay all bound for morning town many Judy's at the engine Tony rings the bell Seymour swings the lantern To show that all is well I know you want more stories, but uh, we'll just have to wait till next time. We'll be back and we'll have a whole new slate of shows. And in the meantime, we got to get you kids off to bed. Time to get you in your jammies and get your teeth brushed and get up there and uh, climb into bed. We'll see you next time. This is Bob Bro. We're so glad you stopped by and I'm so glad you met me. Thank you.